If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Oh, my goodness. Welcome to our second episode in our brand new series, um, Shit the Bible Says. And <laughs> we are uh, we're going to look at another crazy, crazy Bible verse. You will not believe it's in the Bible. But yes, it is, my friends. Have your Bibles handy. It's going to be great. My name is Keith Giles. Uh, I am one of your many co-hosts here on the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. I'm the author of the Jesus Un series of books, including uh, Jesus Unforsaken, Substituting Divine Wrath with Unrelenting Love, which is all about penal substitutionary atonement theory and all the other theories that are before that one. Um, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, um, Katie and Derek and Matt, and um, maybe this would be a great time for them to introduce themselves and and let you know a little bit about themselves as well. So say hi. Hey, everyone. This is Katie Valentine. And this series title could not be more appropriately named for the topic that we're talking about today. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control. And um, I feel like I should just share my little bit of big life news, which is I just made a big move. And so I'm recording tonight from Ireland. And this is where I live now. So I'm, I'm super excited, but I'm going to keep my uh, Southern California accent. Southern and California, not SoCal. <laughs> Excellent. And thank yes. you for the vigorous harp there. I appreciate it. So I brought my harp with me, which was the hardest part of the dang move. So happy to be here. Oh, wow. Did you have to did you carry it in the seat next to you on the flight? The har- the little harp came with me up above. The big harp will arrive in about a week. And it had a special oh, yeah, case yeah, and a special ship shipping. That. And oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Awesome. So we're now international. Heritage Happy yeah. Hour has gone international. Totally. Woo-hoo. Look out. I'll be I'll be wearing my t shirt out and about. Get 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 a get a shirt that says damn Yankee on it. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> and that way you can you can offend the uh the, the Europeans and Southerners in one nice package. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm sure there's lots of Southerners in Ireland. There's a lot of people there from uh, Georgia and uh Tennessee. Yeah. Sure. Well anyway, I'm Derek Day and I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion and the Love Minus Religion blog on Pathios. I'm also the founder and host of the Forward Podcast, and I'm just really fascinated by today's topic. You know, you go, you can go so far with God, but there's a point where one <laughs> has to pump thy brakes. As we shall see, yes. <laughs> this is this is where we draw the line, isn't it? Yes. Well, it's gonna it's it promises to be an interesting one. I can't say it's gonna be a good one, um, but it's gonna be an interesting one. I am, of course, Matthew DeStefano, the uh, the author of many books, and I I as well blog on Pathios. It is uh, I would love if everyone would go subscribe to my blog called All Set Free. It is on Pathios. It is the best blog on Pathios from what I've told myself. Yeah. Well, just under my blog, I think mine, it's like my blog and then maybe your blog and then. And then Derek's. And then, well, (laughs) you know, they're all good. 
You know, there's there a lot are. of great bloggers on Patheos, right? Yeah, there are. There are. But I, I happen to be bloggers. partial to you guys. It's like Thanks. basically, not just really, you know, basically everybody else is the same old standard Christian mumbo jumbo. You know, you guys are actually saying something, <laughs> you know, worth reading. Hopefully interesting. It is. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I don't really read a lot of blogs. This is this thing, right? When you write, at least I write blogs, but I don't really read a lot of other blogs. I do read Matt's sometimes. If it's a, if it looks interesting, hey. I'll, I'll read, I'll read it just to see what's he, what's he talking about here in this. I'll have, I'll have, I'll have to be guys. more clickbaiting. I'll be more clickbaiting next time. There you go. All right. So what do, what do we have? What do we have today? I think we have, uh, Derek, you got an announcement for us? Yeah, actually, we do have a hotline. That if you want to connect with us heretics, you can do so by exercising the finger dexterity that it takes to dial 240-343-7379. Once again, that's 240-343-7379. And what do we have? Text? We got it. We actually, Derek, we're going to have to switch it up a little bit. I just remembered. I got to be honest. I'm producing this show. That's why it's such a shit show so far. And I, I have the text. I have the text. Do you want to hear that? I've got, I've got that. Uh, there it is. I have okay. a text. Can I read it, Derek? Is that okay I'll, with you? Well, yeah, I suppose. Or roll, Just roll. this once. Okay. I swear to God, <laughs> Ralph will be back next week. <laughs> I, I expect some retribution and restitution next week. There needs to be there needs to be retribution. I think Derek, you deserve you deserve payback. Work out your yeah, day reparations, of damn it, Derek. <laughs> reparations, reparations. <laughs> Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not Derek. Is it, is it, is it right. another white man taking from the black man? <laughs> you see, Jesus see what happens. Christ. See there, there, there you go. <laughs> you want me to you want me to email to you so you can read it? No, man. Roll, 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 <laughs> roll, roll that beautiful fucking text footage. All right. I'm going to mansplain this text here. All right. <laughs> it's actually an email. Hi there. Listen to your 100th episode today. I've recently been binge watching, quote, The Handmaid's Tale here in England. That looks and sounds like fundamental evangelicalism gone wild. Can you imagine? Love to hear your thoughts, assuming you've seen it, of course. Thanks for the shocks, the provoking, the thought out views, the honesty in theology, and for just being different. Graham K, aka Rumi. End quote. So he must have filled out our who are which heretic are you? And he probably got roomy. Oh, there you go. I'm assuming. Ooh, so nice. yeah. Yeah. Little plug. Oh. If you go to heretichappyhour.com and you can take our who uh who are you as a heretic quiz. Yeah, what heretic are you? You know, that's so funny because Wendy and I we started watching uh Handmaid's Tale probably like a year and a half, two years ago, and we stopped after the first, like, we made it like one or one or two episodes into the first season, and then we got distracted. But we just picked it up again, and we are actually loving it. We're kind of binging it right now. We're on, we're in the middle of season three, and I'm really loving it. I think it's genius, and it really is, to me, this show is one of those, um, it's kind of showing you exactly what, like, if people like Mike Pence have their way, or, you know, people like, um, um, you know, the, the quiver falls, those, those folks. Yeah. What's his name? The Graham's son, Lindsey Graham, Franklin Graham, Franklin Graham, but probably Lindsey Graham too. And, and, um, uh, you know, pastor Jeffries, whatever from the Dallas, for, oh, Baptist Church, whatever. Yeah. So those guys, so this is basically the, their dream 
come true. If they if there was a theocracy and we basically couldn't use the Bible, the Old Testament as the law and enforce things like cutting off people's fingers or gouging their eyes out or, you know, for silly things like, you know, like if a woman reads a book, they cut off her finger or her hand. Um, or if you talk back, they they take out your eye. Like it's 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 really in one level, it's really horrific. But on the other level, it's like, yep, this is the world that there are people in America that really do want this kind of uh, government. And it's pretty frightening stuff. I got to admit, I, I, I haven't I haven't seen it. I've, I've watched it a couple of times and, and, and I'll tell you something, you know, people say, well, you know, separation of church and state. But in reality, what what most fundamentalists want is a yep. right wing theocracy and yes, a, old, an Old Testament base. I mean, there would be no grace in in a fundamentalist theocracy. This would be hard line law. And it would be, you know, how, how uh, different musical artists have their best of and greatest hits. This would be the absolute worst of fundamentalist Christianity being played out. And it's, you know, especially, and, and because it's The Handmaid's Tale, it's very focused on women. And what fundamentalists would like to do with women is just absolutely reprehensible. Cool. So thanks, Graham, for the question. And uh, we're pseudo neighbors now. Um, so I read The Handmaid's Tale, I don't know, probably 30 years ago, and I've watched the entire series, some of it more than once. Uh, and I have to be very careful how I kind of marshal out my time with The Handmaid's Tale, not watching more than one episode at a time, or I'll have uh, really sleepless nights. Um, so Margaret Atwood, you know, the author of the original book, said that, that she wrote this book in the early to mid 80s. It was published, I think, in 1985. And uh, yeah, she said it was her vision of what would happen if um, like, there was an evangelical Christian kind of takeover of, of the United States gover- uh, government. And horrifyingly, nothing that she puts in the book is fiction. Everything that she puts in the book is something that has happened to women um, across the world. Now, the TV show takes that to another level, and they, they, they're going really beyond the source material. Um, so I want to be very right. clear that this vision of Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale made into the TV show, which I think is excellently done, is a distortion of the Old Testament uh, and of the New Testament. Um, it's not what I believe is the authentic kind of representation um, of, of any of that material, although there's horrific things that happen to men, women, children uh, in, both, in both Testaments. Um, and so one of the things I really love about the show is that they show um, a... Uh, what, what I would say is a more authentic version of Christianity. You see that with like the Catholic nun. You even see that in uh, June's character because she'll, yes. um, she'll, they'll show her praying. They'll show her kind of having her own spiritual um, experience uh, that really goes off the rails in season three and season four. But I think we can all understand why, uh, you know, especially in the finale. So yeah, great question. I'm, I love the material and I kind of have to very carefully parcel out how I watch it. Yeah, I thank you. Thank you for saying that too, Katie, because that's what we've noticed as well. I really love that it isn't, it would be such a temptation to make this, you know, the crazy Christians versus the sort of more enlightened atheists or whatever. And that they don't do that at all. They actually show that the like June, uh, who's the sort of the hero of the story, and many other people who are being oppressed by this theocracy, they have a private faith. They have a genuine belief in and a faith and a trust in God. 
um, that's very different than this sort of weaponized toxic theocracy theology that's driving because here's what's so ironic is like we just watched an episode uh there's a, there's an episode in season three um is it season two maybe near the end of i think it's in the, near the end of season two where where uh one of the characters um wives stands up and reads from the gospels and has her finger cut off because uh it's it's illegal for a woman to read anything even to read the bible and this is the ir- irony of it because like well it's supposed to be a society supposedly built on biblical principles and yet it's still this horrible horrific crime for a woman to read the gospels out loud and that's the the like the the irony of it and sort of the twisted <laughs> theocracy theology whatever of of uh, gilead which is the this fictional uh thing that America gets twisted into. Uh, so yeah, I, I thank you for bringing that out. I, I, I've appreciated that. I've appreciated that it has not turned into uh, a show sort of like against Christians and against faith. It's actually not against faith at all. It's just against the kind of thing that imposes itself on people um, and forcing them at machine gun point to to follow the rules. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it doesn't say anywhere in scripture that women aren't allowed to read. <laughs> That's a, that seems to no, not be a value right. yeah, in scripture at all, right? That's right. So cool. All right. So awesome question. Uh, love the question. And we have a really special um, heretic of the week for all of y'all this week. Last week you got to hear from, or last episode you got to hear from Marcion from the distant past. Um, this time we also have an international, kind of a, a new-ish neighboring country to me, Heretic of the week. So I'm going to let this heretic introduce themselves and y'all are just going to be floored. So let's take it away. I know. Do we need to channel him or do you, don't you need to do I think we need to, yeah. Oh, we right. need to, we need Katie. Katie, you need write, to call this person. I did not write my summoning spell, but I'll tell you what. I will uh, call upon my Cajun French ancestry, which shares some common ancestry with this heretic. So I'm calling in all of my ancestral past and present to present you with this uh, beautiful heretic recently returned from a fairly recent um, time in the beyond. It's the heretic of the week. Hello. Yes. Uh, is Rene? Rene, is that you? Yes, they call me Rene Girard. Oui. Oh, Rene, I'm a huge fan. I've read read your books. Um, love your stuff. And who, who might you be? Oh, my name is Keith Giles. Um, you're on a podcast. Do you know what a podcast is, Renee? We we do not have podcasts uh, in uh, in France uh, when I was around. No, it's basically a radio show that people can listen to on the internet. Uh, yes, internet. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know what that is? I'm not. Maybe we should. Oui. Do you know what the internet is? We oui. oui, okay. Oui. So Renee, um, Renee Gerard. Um, so yeah, you you recently passed away, and uh, we. Really sorry about that. We didn't uh, we didn't create this podcast early enough to have you on, you know, in the flesh. But we're so glad we get to bring you on now, sort of channeling your your spirit here. And uh, what we'd like to ask our guests on this podcast is, um, why is it that somebody might call you a heretic? Oh, no one to call me a heretic except a Protestant. Uh, I am a Catholic. Uh, maybe call me heretic because. Uh, uh, the way I read the Bible, n- not how fundamentalists read Bible. No. Uh huh. Okay. No. You picked up see, a little Italian. You see, 
picked a little challenge. Well, well, you pardon, pardon, <laughs> pardon my French. Uh, you know, I don't have French accent in, in afterlife. You know. It's hard to maintain these things, it's, I know. Yes, not everyone French in, in afterlife, you see. It's such an international community. <laughs> Come uh, Portuguese, uh, French, uh, Italian, <laughs> so Spanish. You know, you not, not many Americans, though. Not you, many you, Americans. You, you immigrated to America in the afterlife, right? You're a supernaturalized American citizen, right? <laughs> so that's something to that effect. Yes. So you are, you're famous <laughs> for, um, for discovering something that, that many theologians I find, I've always found this fascinating, uh, Mr. Gerard. I've always found this fascinating about you. Cause I'll be honest, when I first heard that there were these theories that you had come up with, this, um, mimetic theory and scapegoat theory. Um, but when I, when I heard that your, your pedigree was that you were basically, uh, a French English te- teacher or something or a literature professor, I just thought, well, what could someone like that tell us about theology? What could they possibly tell us about the Bible or about God? And so I, I initially dismissed, uh, to my to my shame, I will admit, I, I dismissed your views. But then when I read your writings, I, I was very, very surprised that your, your insights, I thought, were exactly right on. Um, when well, you are the- arrogant uh, American. <laughs> yes, I am. You see, you see, in America, you think uh, everything we, whatever we think, is wonderful, fantastic. Uh, what does this Frenchman think? Oh, nothing. Well, you see, you you uh, take a little bit of humility uh, as an American. You see. Yes, I, I, I apologize. You're right. You're exactly. I, I have been humbled uh, by your writing. So, can you explain to us what is this thing you discovered? This, um, I guess, it probably begins with. Mimesis, right? Can you explain what is that and how did you discover this and how does this apply to, you know, sort of our, the way the way we look at God and the way we look at ourselves? Well, you see, uh, desire is um, not innate. Um, we desire uh, what others desire, you see. So, for instance, no one would put Keith Giles as uh, advertisement, <laughs> but uh, your, your other host, what, uh, what's his name? The, the Italian fellow, he's not on. Uh, uh, you, would put, you would put him on advertisement and everyone would say, oh, I desire what he desires because uh, he is someone to look up to, you see. Yes. And, and so we pick up desires of others. And uh, of course, we come into conflict with one another. Uh, for instance, Derek, you have a nice car, right? Um, oui. But there's only, there's, oui. there's only one car that you can have. So if I want your car, for instance, uh, I cannot have it because you have it, right? So we have conflict. This is mimetic desire. So, um, yes, I see what you're saying. Um, if we were going to sort of have a, a mascot for our podcast, instead of getting an old, uh, short, white guy, we would get maybe like a tall, young, tall, dark, ripped, young, ripped, kind of like someone yeah, with abs, you know. Abs. Yes. Well, so, uh, wait, where the hell I see is your point. Matt? <laughs> He uh, is not up here. No. <laughs> you tell me. I think he had to step out. I'm not sure what happened. And see, he came to my uh, funeral, I hear, and now he's not here? Yeah. You know, maybe he was overcome with emotion, uh, the idea of maybe speaking to you again. It was probably emotional, too emotional for him. Um, maybe. Maybe. He's maybe a very this emotional is the... guy. Yes. And maybe he's starstruck. He could not bring himself to uh, talk to me today. I understand. Yes, Exactly. So, so your your uh, your theory is that humans don't 
that their desires are sort of, uh, we mimic our desire. We mimic the desires of others around us. And so because of that, what, what kind of problems does that create for humanity? And what are the sort of the spiritual implications of that? Uh, well, repeat the question. I, I, I'm not sure your English, I'm, I'm understanding. <laughs> okay. So you've explained that there's this thing called mimetic desire. And, uh, of course, we, have you read my books, Keith? Yes, You've I read have. my books. Yes. No, okay. I don't, I don't want you to explain it to me. I'm, I'm for our listeners, for the sake of our listeners who don't maybe understand uh, your theories. I'm wanting you to have an opportunity to explain them. So, uh, because we have these mimetic desires, um, what is, what are the implications of that? Like what, what is, does it create some sort of a problem for humanity that we can't overcome? And, and how do we, is there a way to overcome it? Of course, this is why I am Christian, uh, but a beautiful book from the blood of Abel written by your host, right? <laughs> so he lays out, uh, beautifully, he does beautiful job with my work, uh, talks about the implications of, uh, of, of mimesis and desire and the violence that it, ha that it happens. Uh, and see, then, then you come to the gospel, not the way the fundamentalists understand it, but he lays out beautifully in chapters four, five, and six, and seven, wow. the, the implications, uh, Beautiful book. Um, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> so you wow. just have to read the book. I, I think Kindle and uh, Audible and, and on paperback. Okay. Wow, Renee, I didn't realize you were such a huge fan of Matthew DiStefano. It's such a sad, so sad that he can't be here to thank you for that shameless I am, plug. <laughs> I, I am totally amazed that you don't know what a podcast is, but you know what Kindle is. So that's... That's exactly. amazing in and of itself. Like clearly, you're in heaven. Clearly, I, I maybe maybe I lied. I've been on one or two podcasts <laughs> before. Yes, okay, <laughs> exactly. Well, so I think that's a great idea. People should pick up uh, uh, Matthew DiStefano's book. Um, that that's true. The, from the from the blood of Abel. Is that correct? So I hear. Yes, that's that's a really wonderful book. Yes, and and your own book, uh, of course. You know, you're so gracious. But, but I should also recommend your book because I think your book is, is really great. Uh, your book, um, I See Satan Fall Like Lightning, is a wonderful book. Uh, oh, you make me blush. <laughs> so, Renee, that's a, that's I, a have, good one. I have a question for you. Tell, tell us a little bit about the scapegoat mechanism. Oh, scapegoat, uh, you know, when two people in conflict, uh, if they agree upon a third party to uh, to to point finger at and blame, um, they become unified. So if uh, culture has, uh, has problem mimetic violence, uh, we agree that if, if, we, if we can point to someone else, then, then we have catharsis. You know what I mean? Like, so, so for instance, um, uh, Osama bin Laden uh, was, uh, was terrorist, right? And yes. uh, Americans fight, 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 politic, 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 Democrat, Republican, blah, bullshit. Um, <laughs> I didn't cuss in my former life, but you know what? Yeah, it's fine. Um, they don't care if they're, yes. You, you kill, you, you do what Americans do, right? You, you go around, shoot people, bomb people, kill people, and then uh, you agree uh, this man had to die. And so you come, you sing God bless America and all this nonsense. Um, that's scapegoating. So... Where you had problem before, you agree that, oh, that guy's the bad guy, you know, so you probably do it on the show. Keith, you have conflict with Derek, you, you agree, this Matthew, this desirable man, we must scapegoat him because he's so 
tall, dark, and handsome. And so then you, you and Keith, you get, you get along, right? So this is how it goes. And, you know, I, I, I don't include Katie because other women, they're smarter than us. Mm-hmm. Yes. I see now. Thank you. That really helps me understand what you're talking about. That made total sense to me. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's no problem. I came up with a theory. You know, I, I, I know it's front and backwards. <laughs> of course. Of course. No one knows it better than you. No. Um, well, maybe one, but we already talked about it. <laughs> well, yeah, we already mentioned Matthew DiStefano. Of course. We can never forget him. Thank God that, he, that God left him behind uh, after your death so he can continue on uh, your great work. Uh, there are many who do this, but uh, he number one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, um, this has been so enlightening. I've learned so much about Matthew DiStefano and about you <laughs> as well. So, <laughs> in the process, I mean, I mean, you think, I mean, I've spent so much time with Matthew on this show, but spending some time, just even five minutes with you, I've learned so much more about Matthew DiStefano than I ever knew before. This has been wonderful. It's been my pleasure. I'm going to go back to uh, hang out with Peter and even Judas. He's up here. Yeah, send him our love. That sounds great. I will wash his feet for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Rene. Au revoir. Monsieur Au revoir. Au revoir. Wow, that was so enlightening. I really, you know, I, I would. I've always wanted to meet him in person and just talk to him, and then that was that was such a gift. That really was, and it was nice. Uh, to, uh, I'm back, by the way, guys. Oh yeah, there. Yeah, you just missed him. He just left. It was. It was nice of you guys to include me. Seems well, weird that you, you know, would miss meeting would... your, your guy, Matt. Uh, yeah, no. well, I, I don't, it's one of those things. I don't, I don't want to put him on a pedestal or anything. And um, I, I want to let you guys handle it. I, I, I thought that would don't be more be appropriate. Don't want to be a fanboy. I yeah, understand. Yeah. I don't want to be a fanboy. I don't want to take over the conversation, things yeah. like that. But, thank, but thanks for holding down the fort while I was gone, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was very insightful. Very, very, uh, very edifying. Thank you, Renee. <laughs> Well, Renee, we'll catch know, up sometime soon. One thing I think Renee would definitely do is think really carefully about mimicking us and joining the Patreon community of the Heretic Happy Hour. Was that too much of a stretch? Have I have I made no. the transition? No, okay, well, let's. I, I think that I may be able to make the case. Um, I, yeah, I, listeners, I don't know if y'all know this, but we do have uh, an amazing Patreon community. So patrons are people who support the podcast. At, we have a couple of different levels from as little as $2 a month. And we want to tell y'all about this right now, right here, because we're having a special session, uh, an hour-long meet and greet with your co-host, with Matt, with Keith, with myself, and with Derek. Uh, we do this about once a quarter for the Patreon, for members of the Patreon community. And we do this for those who contribute at the $9 and above uh, level, but you can become a patron for as little as $2 a month. And on the August 29th, 2021, we're all going to join together and y'all get to decide what we all talk about. Um, We'll let you even set the tone and the agenda. If no one decides, We'll choose. We will choose an awesome uh, thing to talk about. We had so much fun last time. Uh, so it's one of the bonuses we have for the awesome community. Uh, so I wanted to put that out there in case anyone's been thinking about it. This is a great time to check that out. Links are in the bottom of the show. You can go to our website. Um, it should be easy enough to find the Patreon community. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the conversation. What about y'all? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. 
Can we All can right. we speak in our best French accents? You can speak whatever <laughs> accent you want. I don't know if I can actually. I don't think Gerard <laughs> would be pleased. <laughs> People have been asking me if I'm uh, going to start speaking in an Irish accent, but the Irish highly discourage that because they say we all sound like pirates, which is true. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine that would be pretty bad. You know that if you say "fuck off" and spell it or say it backward, then it sounds like "fuck off" with an Irish accent. Try it. I'm working it out of my fuck head. Off. <laughs> Just <a> fuck off. Just a fuck off. Oh, yeah. We learned so much on this podcast. Such an educational show. Yeah. Well, we spent about 30 minutes. Should we actually do some education here? Should we? Get, we, should think, we yes. Should we dig into the word of God now? Let us turn in our scriptures to Ezekiel chapter four. Let's get shit faced. This yes. is now, my this Bible. Is... It is what I say I am. Who who picked this passage today? I I did because and it was so funny. I was saying telling you guys before we hit record. I mentioned to my mom today that we were gonna we we're doing this series, and I said, you know, tonight we're recording uh, from Ezekiel chapter four, where God commands Ezekiel to eat bread cooked on his own shit, and she was like, no, it doesn't say that. So I just grabbed a Bible off the shelf and whipped it open, and I was like, there you go. I'm gonna read it to you, and there it is. Excuse it actually me, well, does say this. this out. I want to whip this out. And uh, it's, it's just what, to me, one of the craziest scriptures. I remember as a young boy, I was probably like 12 or 13, and I started reading the Bible um, every night before I went to bed. I read a little bit of it. And when I came, I remember coming to this passage and just being like, this is, are you kidding me? This is one of the craziest things I've ever heard in my life. So I, I guess um, since it's, it was my idea. It's basically, I, I guess we're going to call this eating shit bread because what God tells Ezekiel to do in this passage, it's, um, and we're going to get into what's going on because it helps to understand sort of the background of what's going on and why God is asking Ezekiel to do some, by the way, a whole bunch of really crazy things. This is just the craziest, I think. But there are many other crazy things that um, God asks Ezekiel to do in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, and one of them is this thing where he tells him to lay on his side for basically a year on his left side. And then, uh, then after that, to turn it, roll over and lay on his right side and for like, um, for like two months. And, and while he's laying on his right side, he's supposed to make cakes of bread, which he will then cook and eat, but he must cook them on his own dung. And, and it's really hilarious because when you get to this part, Ezekiel's reaction, up to this point, it's just God talking and telling Ezekiel, I want you to do this and I want you to do that. And he just kind of goes along. And then right when it comes to the spot where God says, and I want you to make these, this bread that you cook on your, cooked on your own, on your own crap. That's where all of a sudden Ezekiel goes, uh, Hey Lord, hang on a second. You know what? Um, I've done all this other crazy stuff you've asked me to do. No problem. But I think let's think about this one. Maybe let's not do this. And then God sort of says, well, all right, then. Uh, instead of cooking it on your own crap, you can use uh, basically cow manure. Uh, you can cook these yummy, yummy bread cakes cooked cupcakes. on. Yeah, these <laughs> cupcakes you're making uh, on the dung of cows. So that's this concession. And anyway, it's just one of the craziest things in the Bible. And I'm glad we get a chance to talk about it. You know, one of the things that I think of is the, the words of Marie Antoinette, let him eat cake. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, cake isn't so bad. 
if you say, well, <laughs> the peasants don't have bread, let them eat cake. And that, that, that you're, you're thinking, well, God, that sounds like a, a bit of a reward. But if you say, let them eat shit, <laughs> eat shit and die, I, I really believe that's more along the lines of what Marie Antoinette said. And, and, and I, would, I would venture to guess that maybe she pulled that from old Zeke's testimony. <laughs> well, I, I, know, I, that's just, I just, that's a stretch. But I, I mean, um, I guess we should talk about what's going on. Cause like Ezekiel, I, I get, let me do this quickly. There's a, there's some background. Uh, and I didn't know this until I went a long time ago. I did a Bible study. I doing, uh, going through Daniel. And when I was going through Daniel, um, I noticed, I never noticed this before, that um, Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah, all three of these prophets, were prophets at the same time. They were all sort of the, the prophets of God during the Babylonian captivity. Um, and then there's like, I think one of them references the other, some of the others don't reference each other. But anyway, the bottom line is all three of them, uh, if you read Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, they're all, they all take place during the same Babylonian captivity. And so um, Ezekiel is prophesying during this time. And pretty much most of what God asks him to do is sort of like performance art. It's kind of like, you know, strip down to your underwear and run around banging pots and pans together or dress like this and moan and cry and scream until people ask you why you're doing that. And then you can explain. Like, so a whole lot of what Ezekiel is asked to do that God asked him to do is pretty crazy stuff, but it's usually intentionally weird so that people will will stop their daily routine and see it and wonder what's up with this guy and kind of get their attention so that he can then sort of dramatize, well, what I'm doing right now is a symbol or symbolic of something that God wants to tell you about or warn you about or whatever. Um, so that's kind of the reason why God asked him to do this crazy thing uh, on, on top of all the other crazy things. But I can't help but think if Eze- if someone like Ezekiel was running around today doing this stuff, we would lock this guy up. Yeah, that that, that would he would be on the crazy train for sure. Oh yes, and for all we know, maybe that's what's going on with a lot of these. Maybe maybe think about it that way. What if all these people that are running around doing all these crazy things um, on the on the streets? We you know we look at these guys, we think, oh, this homeless guy, he's camping on the sidewalk, he's dressing up like a whatever, you know, doing something weird. Hey, what if, what if he's hearing from God? What if God is trying to speak to this guy and give us some kind of a, you know, prophetic warning and we, and we're not paying attention. Yeah. And so uh, I love the, I love the kind of perspective and acknowledgement that Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, they're all, uh, they're all roughly contemporaneous. And it seems like Ezekiel is um, drawing a lot on Jeremiah. Um, I will say when I knew we were going to be doing Ezekiel, I was like, oh my gosh, it's the most confusing flipping book in the Old Testament. Is it apocalyptic? Is it a prophecy? He's doing these crazy, like symbolic acts. And it's, it's just a book I've done no critical study of. So when I say crash course, it's like crash course um, in this book. And I, I've carefully stayed away from it, except for the um, the bone story, which I really, really like uh, towards the end of the book. But I, I think it's noteworthy that Ezekiel is very pro not rebelling 
against Babylon. And he has a mindset that I I don't particularly agree with his theology, but he kind of has this mindset of like repentance, like the Israelites have done something wrong and that's why they've been invaded by Babylon. And so they need to kind of course correct. Um, I I don't share that particular perspective, but that is his perspective. Um, You know, so yeah, I think Keith, when you asked the question, you know, if someone was doing this today, how how would we interpret that? But we have people do a lot of dramatic things today um, as well. So I'm, I, this is just off the top of my head, but I'm thinking like Lady Gaga wore that meat suit to some award ceremony I don't yes. know, 10 years ago. I think this is nuts. Um, I don't know if she was making a statement, if she's just being bizarre, like what it is. But, you know, we have kind of celebrities doing things like this all the time. But I think it's also mistaken to read this as Ezekiel actually doing this. Like, I don't think he actually laid on his side for a year. Or actually, you know, actually No, you'd get, the- you'd get bad stars and... No. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, so like the writings, kind of like the parables, are supposed to shock us. Well, this one does the trick. You know, twenty five hundred years later, we're still reading it. And we're still being shocked, <laughs> right? So, what's the meaning? You know, for me, my question is, what's the meaning behind the symbolic act of cooking over your own dung? Um, what What is Ezekiel trying to communicate? to his people through this dramatic kind of description because it certainly got his attention and it certainly gets his attention so much that he finally is like, do I have to? <laughs> and God relents and says, no, no, you can use cow dung instead. And so that's that's supposed to, I think, catch our attention and invite us to keep exploring it. And anything having to do with human excrement, this is certainly true in working with dreams. Um, and when I work with dreams and symbology, anytime excrement or human dung appears in a dream, I know it's time to look up and to pay attention because that means that transformation is near. Yeah. Oh, is that is that what's going on here? Some sort I don't of know, there, but I'll put it out of, there. Oh. Well, I mean, what he says in the passage is sort of like the reason when God finishes, like, okay, yeah, 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 I'll let you use cow dung, and then he says. um, Behold, it's sort of like, I think this is what he's trying to say. What God says is like, the reason why I'm asking you to sort of do publicly, you know, in front of everybody do this kind of crazy thing is uh, because I will break the support of bread in Jerusalem and they shall eat bread by weight and in want and and drink water by measure and in a state of ruin so as to become in need of bread and water. So it's sort of like it's, I think it's, as I understand it, a lot of these things um, are, are, ways of sort of like dramatizing again that's why i call it performance art it's like he is sort of uh, acting out in public what this warning like this is what's going to happen to you if you don't repent kind of a thing so is god encouraging ezekiel to break the law because this would actually violate a lot of the cleanliness aspects of the law you're so, right. so here, exactly right. God has outlined what the law is, and and He's consistently chided the um, the Israelites for failing to obey the law. But here you have God telling Ezekiel to shut the law and and basically to inflict the same uncleanliness on the people of Israel. Yeah, that's exactly right. And actually, there's a there's a strong parallel to the passage in Acts chapter ten, right, where where God tells Peter, uh, shows him this vision of these unclean animals, and says, "Kill and eat." And Peter's like, "What are you talking about, God? You're asking me to do something that it goes against 
all of these sort of cleanliness, purity laws that I, that are uh, kept since my childhood. And uh, Peter refuses to do it. And it's, this, it's a similar thing, I think, in this case where God is asking Ezekiel to do something, that, assuming this really is God <laughs> telling him to do this, that uh, God would have known, uh, I've already told you not to do this kind of thing. So why am I telling you to do it now? So I think God sort of anticipates that he's going to push back on this and say, no, 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 no. Hold on a minute, God. Because uh, that's the way he responds. Ezekiel's whole thing is, listen, God, I have, I have been pure my whole life. I've kept these purity laws my whole life, my dietary laws, according to the commandments of Moses. And, um, and now you're asking me to do something that is outside of that. Uh, you know, I don't want to do that. And then God gives him a concession in this case, where he says, okay, all right, you don't have to do that. Uh, you, can, you don't have to go that far, but you can do something different. But you're right. It is kind of a thing where initially it's funny because, right, what God is asking Ezekiel to do is intended to shock the people to notice. And and, and in, in a way, this is the moment where what God tells Ezekiel shocks Ezekiel. It, it shocks him. He's the one stepping back and going, wait, whoa, what? Right. So now this is like getting into his space a little bit, too. Yep. Yeah. So a couple a couple of things. I, I agree with Katie that. um this isn't my theology. Ezekiel's theology is not my theology. I think Ezekiel's theology of trying to um, like explain why they're in this situation and why God is doing this kind of leads to like almost what happens with Job. They start blaming each other for the sins. And oh, yeah. We can go down that route. But one interesting point, Derek, I'm glad you brought this up. It, it reminds me of, and maybe, uh, you know, friend of the show, Matt Cortman, his whole thesis is that we're supposed to say no to God right. when, when something um, that we know God wouldn't really say to us or something that's really moral or right when, when that goes against that. And we'd say no to God. And that's his whole, you know, saying no to God book. And maybe this is another one of those instances where it's like, no, I'm not, no, no, I'm not eating. I'm not eating bread cooked on my own shit. <laughs> and so then God's like, and, and, and part of Matt Cortman's, um, thesis is that then when you say no to God in the correct way, you're actually blessed by God. Um, so I, <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch to call eating cow shit a blessing, but I, I suppose it's better than eating bread off your own. I would say so. I don't <laughs> want to eat either one, but if I have a choice, if I'm going to go with the cow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it also may be helpful to, it might be, um, I think it might be helpful to look at this text and especially the chapter that follows it in the context of warfare and trauma. Because in times of warfare and in times of trauma, when resources are limited, you do things you wouldn't normally do. And if you're, if you're very poor, if you're very impoverished, and the firewood that you can afford is dung, because it's free, that's what you yeah. use as well. And so Ezekiel is most likely living in Babylon, but most likely grew up in Jerusalem. Like he seems to know Jerusalem very, very well. Um, and so we, there's a lot we don't know about Ezekiel, but it, the, I think the, most, the consensus that I was reading, um, light consensus, is that he was probably an adult when he was taken into Babylonian exile. Well, a lot of the people who were taken into Babylon from Jerusalem were merchant class or upper class, like they wanted to take the wealth there, but they're still a very, very traumatized people. Um, and he is, I think he's also writing to people probably in exile and back home. I mean, he, he put, basically puts God on wheels to say that God can go from Babylon back to Jerusalem um, in this chariot. And so he's really 
but eager to make God uh, a little more universal maybe than God had been before. But, you know, if we can look at this as um, people who are in a state of terror, doing things that they normally wouldn't do, including breaking the covenant, which must have been just terrifying for a lot of the people, um, I think we can maybe kind of read this from that perspective. And in the next chapter, just in chapter five, uh, if you start with around verse five, you know, he kind of, Ezekiel does the traditional stuff of like, because Jerusalem is done wrong, all, that's why all these bad things are happening. But like Ezekiel named some of the things that um, happen during times of war. Like verse 10, parents shall eat their children in your midst and children shall eat their parents. Yeah. Any of you who survive, I will scatter to the wind. Um, you know, because you've, you know, I mean, Ezekiel says it's because you've done all these things. I don't really believe that. But he's naming all of the really terrible things that happen in a time of war. And so these dramatic synax, I think, are supposed to shake people in their boots and for Ezekiel into a different kind of behavior, but also into the knowledge that God is bigger than they had ever anticipated. God can both be in Babylon and in Jerusalem. And that's new. That's brand new in this time period. Um, and that's something that these three prophets are beginning to emphasize, that God is not only relegated to the land of Israel, but now where all Israelites are, including in Babylon. And he does that all through this cow dung, human dung. Who would have ever thought? Right. And that is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, again, I think we always assume um, as Christians who now have a much more developed sense of like theology with the Trinity. And we kind of try to convince ourselves that, oh, these ideas have always been there. They're all right there all throughout the scriptures. How can you not see them? But to, but to acknowledge that some of these ideas about who God was and what God was like, that they did develop over time, right? So like what you just said is this idea of like, why, well, I, I don't know. I think most Christians would be like, well, duh, of course God is in Jerusalem and in Babylon. And he's also in China and he's also on Saturn and he's also in, you know, all over the universe, like he's not limited to some geographic location. But but this would have been something uh, during Ezekiel's time that they might would have needed to have somebody express this in a way that they could get it and say, oh, okay, yes, God isn't just God uh, because he's our God over Israel or over Jerusalem, that he's God no matter where we are, he's still God. Well, I guess we answered all those questions. <laughs> Can we say that God works all shit for the good? Well, I think what you learn from this, what I learned from this is, boys and girls, please never cook anything using your own human waste. That's probably not a good thing. Even if God speaks to you in a dream and says, I would like you to take your dung out of the toilet and use it to cook some yummy bread cakes. Don't do it, boys and that, girls. Don't that do means, it. That means, that means you ate bad mushrooms. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> that, means that. That means that something is about to be transformed because when you think about it, our shit is a total transformation of things that we put into our mouth. Right, like uh, it's amazing yes, that the human body can can do this. So when shit appears in dreams, it's often the sign that we're about to undergo a major transformation, spiritual transformation, emotional transformation, whatever that may be. So just for the metaphysical among you, uh, that's a little a little takeaway uh, for you. But I think you know where I'm curious, and just curious if this is helpful for us or for others. Are does this have a call to action? Uh, for us, because you know, we talked about that with the parables. Like, what is the call to action for uh, from the parables? You know, so for me, you know, what's I, you know, I, I kind of think about Ezekiel. What's my call to action? I'm not a terribly showy person, 
Um, I, I will show up at rallies. I'll put on my collar uh, to make a statement once in a while. And we were just, my, my spouse and I were just talking about what I, um, do I need to wear a collared shirt ever uh, as an ordained person in Ireland? And I was like, well, I think in Ireland, it's largely Catholic, of course. And I think that would probably draw attention away from the issue that I was there to support and draw attention to me, which is not what I want to do. I want to be there for the, you know, the, for the particular issue in a way that would be different in the United States. So I'm just kind of curious what, what, if anything, might be a call to action, might be a symbolic act, might be something that we can kind of wrestle with today. No, no. Can we say that Ezekiel was a guy that had a shit-eating grin? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that technically would be true, assuming he actually did these things. I, I, I don't know about a call to action, <clears throat> I guess, per se, but I guess what does appeal to me when I read Ezekiel, um, I really like the idea of someone sort of doing kind of performance art kind of things where like, where you can do things in public that... um ironically kind of fly under the radar of the typical ways of messaging. Like, in other words, like not a sermon um, and not a, not even like typically like, you know, let's, let's write some music with some lyrics and play in a bar and whatever. You know what I mean? I, but I mean, more like these sort of provoking kind of things. And I, there's been a couple of times in my life where I, I've known people that have done these kinds of things. Um, and I really think that, that those are, interesting like i i I guess i would like to see more creativity um for people whether that's calling attention to justice issue or maybe it's a theological issue maybe it's a a political issue i don't know but i i like this sort of creative way of getting people's attention and and calling attention to a problem um in this kind of performance art way so I, I don't know if that's a call to action, but I, I love that idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the call to action, like, I, I love how, Katie, you, you mentioned Lady Gaga and the meat suit. To me, yeah. like, I don't know if this was her intention, and I don't know if this is Ezekiel's intention, but the call to action for Lady Gaga, the way I see it is that women are often thought of as pieces of meat. And mm-hmm. so she's going to put that on display for us to think about. And that's 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 what I think about when I when I see that after this discussion, I didn't know where this was going to go. Eat shit, uh, eat shit bread. Like I had no idea where this conversation was going to go. But the fact that it's like a call to action to to think about like in America, our foreign policy, our sanctions, our war, our warmongering, we cause people to be forced into situations where they have to do things they wouldn't otherwise do. Uh, if it came down to starving and eating something that had my own shit on it, I'd like to say, oh, I'd never do it. But if you're starving, right? I don't know. You might have to. And so the call to action is, to, for me at least, like again, I might be taking this in a direction Ezekiel didn't mean for, but it's like, what what actions do I engage in? What policies do I support that lead to people who are oppressed countries that are oppressed typically brown and black countries like how do i how do i reorient or rethink of my own support where i put my money where i put my support where i put you know everything and how does it affect those people and and not putting them in situations where they have to behave in in ways that they otherwise wouldn't could it be 
that God wasn't speaking to Zeke at all? Could it be this was just Zeke saying to the people what he thought the people needed to hear? And, and, and I think this is one of those cases because, you know, when you, when you talk about the consistency of God, you know, that he's unchanging, immutable, but here he's saying something that is specifically against the law that he himself gave. And so I wonder, you know, uh, um, one, of, one, of, one of you guys said something about performance art, and could it be that this was some sort of early primitive performance art that was designed to shake the foundations of the people of Israel? I don't know. Could it be? Yeah. I, well, I think that's a great question, Derek. And I think um, I think it's a kind of question that I, I ask a lot when I read the Old Testament. Uh, I read like I, when I'm reading things like this, I'm wondering, did God really say that? Or is this guy just, you know, maybe he just really loves God. He's very religious. Um, he's, he's personally convinced. Oh, the reason why this happened to us, the reason why we got taken into captivity is that we weren't faithful enough to God and, and we sinned. And so he's just so consumed by that. And he's so upset about that, that he's the kind of guy who decides I'm going to go out here. You know, he probably genuinely believes that he is hearing it from God, that God wants him to do this. And so he's doing this because he thinks, if I do this, I'm, I'm the voice of God to these people. I, I want, God wants to say this to them, and, and I'm going I'm to be the one to, you know, rub their nose in it or, or shake my finger at them or, you know, whatever. Um, that's entirely possible. Whether, I mean, I'm not saying it was what happened, but I'm saying, it's entirely possible because I tell you what, that kind of thing goes on all the time today. And if you don't believe me, just go on Twitter or YouTube or Facebook and you will find a lot of pastors who are totally convinced that God has told them that they need to speak for God and condemn this group of people or that group you know, of people or people that don't agree with them or didn't vote a certain way or whatever. And thus saith the Lord, condemnation, guilt, shame, Etc. And I see it all the time. And when I see it reflected in the scriptures, it's really hard for me to think that that's genuinely God. That it's probably someone who uh, they think they're, they think they believe they are speaking for God, but I'm not sure they are. Do you guys remember when uh, George W. Bush said um, God told me to go into Iraq and end the tyranny? Oh yeah, but that was real. God, that was that. That really happened. Well, I mean, no, that really happened. Like, yeah, he said he said that, and that's what. But I'm just saying, like, how many people? If if the president of the United States says it, right? Like, how many people do you think are thinking the same things? I mean, on a smaller scale, obviously, but they're they're thinking they're doing the word. They they heard the word of the Lord. Um, you know, I, I heard this, or I was told this. I mean, I Republican Jesus don't lie. Dude, I mean, I remember yeah. this horrible story of a woman in Florida. Everything everything bad happens in Florida. Yes, it does. Um, Sorry to our Floridian. Is that Floridian, the right word? Florida listeners, yes. Listeners, I apologize. Jason, y'all, I apologize. Y'all, y'all know it's true. She drowned her kids because God s- said to basically to do that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, at some time, even if it's in the Bible, we got to parse it out and say, 
I know, I know people will say, oh, it wasn't the first one who said, did you really say that, Lord? Wasn't that Satan? Um, I know that's what evangelicals will say, but I really got, okay, fine. Then I'm Satan. I got to, <laughs> I got to lie and say, did God really say that? Come on now. Right. Yeah. Look, so yeah, it's one of those things where, okay, if it's, if God is telling me to drown my children in the bathtub and Satan is telling me that's a stupid idea, don't do that. In that case, I'm, a I'm probably going to lean with Satan on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like in respect to Derek's question, um, I don't see like very little of the Old Testament of the New Testament of any scripture do I read literally and where it says God said, do I take that at its face value, right? So um, Derek, you know, I, my, I think my answer to your question is this is a um, dramatic story written to illustrate a a particular point, some of which I find very moving, um, such as the depiction of of warfare and kind of my personal call to action, um, not in a literal conversation. And even if it is, you know, let me just kind of go to bat and say, okay, well, maybe, maybe some, maybe these, some of these are literal conversations. They're still interpreted through faulty humans. (laughs) Um, and you know, in my metaphysical crowd, I remind people of that all the time. I'm like, you may have a really, really cool message and it's going to be filtered through you and your personality. And that's actually okay. Um, we, we need to know that, but that means we have to take everything with a grain of salt, um, and and look at a bigger picture. Um, you know, so do I believe that God had this literal conversation with Ezekiel? Like no fucking way. No, absolutely not. Um, do I believe that Ezekiel <laughs> wrote it in this way so that we could have a better story? hundred percent. You know, and I'm glad it's in there because Ezekiel has some pretty cool uh, things throughout the book uh, and pretty fantastical things that really align with my science fiction mind. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful it's all in there, but like, literally, no, like none of it. That wheel in the wheel. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and see, porn. That's- you know, that'll be next episode, Your right? Your story's coming up. It's yeah. coming up. We're, we're, yeah, hang yeah. on. Hang, hang, hang tight, Derek. Hang it's tight. Coming. It's coming. Hey, it's coming. Hey. Look out. Oh, God. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Calm down. I like, I, but I like what you said, Katie, about the story. Uh, I think, man, if we could just shift gears a little bit. You know, if, if we could approach scripture that way and say, not be so hung up on, did this literally happen? And look at them more as stories that have great point, like the way we looked at parables. We, I just love that parable series we just finished up. Um, if we could do the same kind of thing with some, some of what we read in the scriptures and not, instead of insisting on them being sort of documentary events that literally, physically, historically happened, and see them as stories that are really great stories that have wonderful points that, you know, there, there are, there's meaning here. Um, that something doesn't have to be literal for it to be true. This is the reason why we value the parables. Um, because we all know that parables aren't true. But we don't say, well, because it isn't literal, it has no value. It's still on the contrary. Because we all know that it isn't literal, yet we can still see the incredible truth and, and meaning in those made-up stories. And so this is the shocking thing. I just watched a documentary. I'm not sorry, not a documentary. I just watched a debate uh, with James White and John Crossan, or Dominic. It's Dominic, right? Dominic Crossan. John Dominic Crossan, yeah. Yes. And um, and and Crossan had this wonderful point about how, you know, basically when Jesus wanted to teach something, he made up a story. Look at that. Mm. That's not inconsistent. 
for God, if God wants to teach you something, guess what he'll do? He'll make up a story. And it doesn't have to be a true story. That's not the point. The point is, I want to teach you something, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make up a story. And the point is not whether it literally happened. If you get focused on that, you've missed it. You need to just pay attention to what is the story telling you, and can you learn the lesson of the story? Great points. Thank you, John Dominic Crossan. Thank you, John Dominic Crossan. And thank you all for having uh, such a wonderful conversation. I think it's time to land this sucker or crash land, however you view the podcast. I'm not sure. Uh, But before we go, I just want to remind you, lovely listeners, don't click stop yet and move on. But go to heretichappyhour.com and check out all the cool stuff we have. We have merch. We have a bookstore. So if you love all of our Heretics of the Week, not including that wonderful, wonderful Frenchman, uh, Rene Girard. We don't have his books, um, but we have all the living uh, Heretics of the Week, most of them. We have their books on sale, 15% off regular retail price. It supports the show. It supports your pocket. HereticHappyHour.com. Go check out those wonderful books. Cool. And after you uh, check out those books, come join us in our free Facebook group open to everyone, Heresy After Hours. You know, I've noticed we have some new members. We're at like 2.2 thousand uh, now and people are having great conversations in there. So come join the fun. Uh, yeah, free Facebook group open to everyone. People put hysterical memes, stories, videos. And of course, uh, the four of us, your co-hosts are in there too, as well, interacting and just having a fun heretical time with everyone. Absolutely. And you know what? If you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and you know what? If you made it this far, I'm assuming you must. Um, you know what you need to do? You need to support us on Patreon because if you do, uh, even at the basic level, I mean, there's a very simple, like, what is it, $2 something like that? Um, a month. I mean, for the whole month, two bucks. Come on. Um, but there's different tiers, different levels. And uh, no matter what level that you support us at, it makes a huge difference. And uh, listen, we have such amazing content that you will unlock immediately. I mean, there's like two years of stuff sitting there for you to go and find. Uh, bonus interviews, uh, bonus podcasts, footage, um, you know, exclusive uh, YouTube videos, Zoom conversations, lots of great stuff. More stuff coming up, as we just mentioned earlier in this podcast that are coming up later on this month. Don't miss it. Um, Support us. And by the way, if you do, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It means so much. We love you so much. And um, and you certainly also get, of course, access to our private, exclusive Facebook group, the Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group. So go to patreon.com slash Heretic Happy Hour and support your favorite podcast. Thank you. And I have to interject, earlier I was talking about the event we're having on August 29th, and I said the fire engine level was $9 a month. It's actually 10 but when I went over to double-check the pricing tier, it shows up in euros, and I wasn't quite translating. So I just thought it was dollars, there we but go. it's 90 euro a month if you're in Europe, $10 a month if you're operating in U.S. dollars. Thank you for the clarification. That's important. Absolutely. I don't want anyone to feel bamboozled about that dollar. That's right. That extra buck. (laughs) And if you enjoy this podcast, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you do, chances are you won't have to eat cakes made of shit. (laughs) Chances are. I can almost guarantee. Hey, hey, this prophecy is guaranteed or your money back. That's right. Five stars. Five stars, goddammit. Five stars. We're, we're going to get some unfortunate... At least, at least four. Oh, man. <laughs> I, hope our hot, I hope our hotline does not accept videos. <laughs> not yet. Porn. No. 
Porn. <laughs> <laughs>